Welcome to Mystery with a History. This is a podcast that looks at the who, what, when, where, and tries to find the why in a mystery. I'm Anomaly. And I'm Katie. Since we are a new podcast, it would be great if you could like and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. You can also follow along on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Mystery with a History Pod. Right. Well, we are rolling right along through the month of November. It is still November. It is still November. We have Thanksgiving coming up upon us. Yes. Yes. And we are rolling with our food themes, which I think is uh, going really well. Yeah. And you're bringing us episode five today. I am. Absolutely. Which I have heard has something to do with breakfast. It does. What is your go-to breakfast? My go-to breakfast every single day is a banana and a granola bar. That's an excellent breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Kellogg would be proud. Dr. Kellogg would love my boring <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today is the Kellogg brothers. Nice. And cereal. It's the story of two brothers, a health craze, and how a batch of forgotten rotten dough changed breakfast forever. Ooh, delicious. <laughs> well, Katie, breakfast has always been recognized as an important way to start the day. However, the form it's taken has changed quite a bit over the past few generations, obviously. In early America, for example, the pioneers of the early 1800s ate incredibly simple breakfasts, which relied almost completely on cornmeal. They had a lot of different cornmeal dishes. Corn pone, johnny cakes, ash cakes, hoe cakes, and corn dodgers were simple hearty meals that could be cooked over a fire and gave the settlers stamina across the prairies and mountains of this great land. Who knew? And of course, they also, if they caught a squirrel, I'm sure they wouldn't be above having some squirrel for I would breakfast. I think it would be very good. Yes. In Victorian times, the growth of the middle class meant more time to prepare meals and kitchens that could produce more elaborate foods. Breakfasts were super hearty and lavish, laden with meats and sweet things. Think Sunday brunch, but every day. A letter home from an Englishman staying in New York City told of the breads, pastries, porridge, boiled chicken, pancakes, and beefsteaks that were regularly consumed. Oof. America wanted meat, 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 and potatoes, and cake, and pie, historian Lowell Dyson wrote of food preferences in 19th century America. Among the wealthy, steak and pie could be for dinner or breakfast. It's a little hard on the colon, I would think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Katie, that is a very good uh, and astute assumption. As you might guess, All that fatty food started to take its toll Mm -hmm. on the health of its consumers and indeed led to mass cases of indigestion. I would assume so. Yes. The British press coined the term dyspepsia as a catch-all term that was kind of thrown around by non-medical persons, kind of like Dr. Oz maybe, to mean a lot of different ailments. As demand for public education on topics of diet, cooking, and domestic science increased, articles on the subject in newspapers and magazines were very popular. Kind of like the weight loss fad of today. Everybody was talking about dyspepsia. Oxford English Dictionary defined it as difficulty or derangement of digestion. Indigestion applied to various forms of disorder of the digestive organs, especially the stomach 
usually involving weakness, loss of appetite, and depression of the spirits. You should stick with a banana. They should have, yes. <laughs> In response to the great American stomach ache, as it was known, from the heavy fatty foods they were eating, Americans started looking for health foods. And to answer the demand, food products started to be invented that were low in fat and sugar and salt, high in grains and fiber. Okay. Graham crackers were invented by dietary reformer Sylvester Graham in 1827. I love a graham cracker. I know! The first cereal called granola, okay. not granola, was invented by James Caleb Jackson, a nutritionist who ran a highly successful health resort in New York State. Now, don't think for a second that it was the sweetened oat and fruit nuggets that we consume today. Right. It's more like a tougher, less flavorful version of grape nuts. Okay. Have you ever tried grape nuts? Yes, and I did not care for them. <laughs> I think everyone tries them once. Yes. And then we no longer try them. They had to be soaked overnight before you could eat it. The cereal was manufactured from a dough of graham flour rolled into sheets and baked. The dried sheets were then broken into pieces baked again, mm -hmm. and broken into smaller pieces. Oh, so it was extra, extra baked. <laughs> Yum! This brings us to John Harvey Kellogg and his role in popularizing cereal as a remedy for the overindulgence of rich foods and its unfortunate consequences. John Harvey Kellogg was born February 26, 1852. He lived to a ripe old age of 91 years old, perhaps due to his strict vegetarian diet, and clean living as a Seventh-day Adventist. That'll do it. That will do it. He attended the University of Michigan Medical School and got his MD from Bellevue Hospital Medical College in 1875. He then spent an additional, like, 10-plus years researching, reading medical journals. He went to Europe to see what they were doing over there. He assisted in surgeries. Uh, he learned about Scandinavian water cures and exercise therapy. In 1876, he agreed to spend one year as the head physician of the Battle Creek Sanitarium in Battle Creek, Michigan, and ended up spending the next 67 years of his life connected to it. Wow. A physician, nutritionist, inventor, and quote-unquote medical missionary, he was a believer in the social gospel, which is tackling social problems with Christian ethics. Okay. In his position at the health resort, he lauded a vegetarian, healthy diet and often experimented with new food products, inventing foods like peanut butter and meat substitutes. Think of him as the Seventh-day Adventist version of Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop, okay? Okay. But in the 19th century. At Kellogg's resort, he treated diseases and ailments with treatments like hydrotherapy, mm -hmm. baths at extreme temperatures, vigorous exercise, fresh air, mm -hmm. breathing. Oh, that's always a good thing to do. Very important. And light therapy, where you would go into a room filled with light bulbs and just sit. You know, I have like a, a red light wand for my face <gasps> that's supposed to like get rid of my wrinkles. I have a mask. So see, we're still doing it <laughs> that's today. Right. Yeah, he was really... a. Ahead of his time in a lot of his thinking, not in all of his thinking, unfortunately, but I will say there is a lot, a lot that Kellogg did, and I only touched a fraction of it. The San, as the sanitarium was called, was incredibly lavish and hosted celebrities of the day, such as William Taft, the president at the time, Thomas Edison, Johnny Weissmuller, better known as Tarzan. Oh, 
and uh, who would actually go into the dining room and do a Tarzan yell to begin the meal in the evening. He treated Amelia Earhart and Sojourner Truth and Henry Ford. So the, it is like goop. It's for rich people and is. celebrities. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And pseudoscience and pseudomedicine. Yeah. Uh, the sanitarium flourished and grew under Kellogg's direction. Kellogg, who wore a white suit always, mm-hmm. wrote like a white... Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he looked exactly like Colonel Sanders. Yeah, he had um, a little mustache and a goatee. He rode a white bike around the grounds and had a pet cockatoo that sat on his shoulder. Oh. He was quite eccentric. He had some very strong ideas about health and wellness, mostly based on his Adventist beliefs. Biologic living was his most passionate cause, and it was his mission to spread the gospel to all those who visited the sand. Biologic living was based on exercise, increased bathing, and eating whole grains, and shunning meat, alcohol, or tobacco, treating the body as a temple. Basically, you're warding off disease with healthy living and eating. Pretty simple. Quote, to eat biologically is simply to eat scientifically, to eat normally, he wrote. Kellogg believed above all else that a bland vegetarian diet would not only help humans physically, but aid them in their fight against sinfulness. And certain foods could help one avoid exciting the passions. His view of flavorful food was quite plain. Highly seasoned meats, stimulating sauces, and dainty tidbits in endless variety, Kellogg wrote, irritate the nerves and react upon the sexual organs. Oh, goodness. Yes. Kellogg wrote books and lectured about the benefits of bland food and fought the meat industry as they tried to promote meat as a healthy addition to the American diet. He wrote that Americans had a tendency to eat, quote, with the feeble stomach of a primate, seemingly every kind of food, including new artificial foods. He concluded that it is no wonder that the human gastric machine has broken down and that dyspepsia, constipation, and peristaltic woes of various description have become universal in civilized lands. Goodness. Kellogg and his younger brother, Will Keith, who helped manage the sanitarium, wanted to develop a food that he could serve to the residents of Battle Creek that would keep their minds off of you-know-what. And he and his brother, Will, started experimenting. No, what anomaly? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you-know-what. They set up the Sanitas Food Company and tried out products that included slow-baked cereal granola biscuits, peanut butter, and a cereal-based coffee substitute. Mm. The baked biscuits that they created were super hard to chew, and one patient broke her dentures on them. Sounds like my cooking. (laughs) Yeah, right. They thought to grind the biscuits up, but they really weren't happy with that product, so they kept at it. The story goes that one night in 1894, Will had mixed up a batch of wheat dough because he was trying to create an easily digestible form of bread, Mm -hmm. and he was called away to some emergency. He consequently forgot all about the dough until the next day, and when he came back, he saw that the dough had, like, fermented or gone bad, but it wasn't completely rotten, okay? Okay. It was salvageable. They put it through the dough roller... And what came out shocked them both. <gasps> Instead of a thin sheet, the dough came out as flakes. Oh. So they baked it up, and the rest is history. 
Granos, as they called it, was the world's first flaked cereal product. Granos. Granos. Corn flakes followed the next year when they switched the recipe from wheat to corn. Mm -hmm. And so basically what happened was the technical term for what happened to the dough was that it was tempered. The water and air content kind of was even across the dough and it just... It's science. I don't know how it happened, but it just happened. Okay. John was known to give instructions on how people could make their own cereal in his lectures. He stated, I am not after the business. I am after the reform. He was truly dedicated to the betterment of his patients and had no sight set on marketing the foods he invented. Cereal, however, became all the rage and consumers had to have it. While John was happy to feed the cereal to patients at the San and sell it through the mail to former patients, Will was the true businessman, and he saw greater potential of mass-marketing flaked cereal to a wider market. And against John's wishes, he altered the recipe. Uh-oh. Yeah. John was very adamant that it had to be unsalted, unsweetened, completely plain for its health right. benefits. So against John's wishes, he altered the recipe to make it tastier by adding salt and sugar to the dough. The brothers fought for years on this topic. In 1906, Will proposed they split the business with John keeping the sanitarium and Will taking the cereal. After almost a decade of legal battles with each brother claiming their right to the Kellogg name, he established the Kellogg Cereal Company. Though John had patented his formula, competitors realized they could make very similar products mm -hmm. without infringing on the patent. By 1903, there were 100 cereal companies in Kellogg's town of Battle Creek. Oh, wow. Just thumbing their nose at him. One of the most successful started by a former patient. You might have heard of C.W. Post, who created Grape Nuts. Ah, Post Cereal. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Will tried to convince grocers to carry his product. He heralded breakfast as the most important meal of the day. The product actually did come at a time when Americans were becoming busier than ever, and the promise of a quick and healthy meal that could be poured out of a box into a bowl was popular with moms and dads just trying to get the kids and themselves out of the house. Yeah. The appeal of cereal continued into the 20th century as it was seen as the ultimate convenience food is becoming more appealing as the Industrial Revolution was forcing many people to leave farms and start working as employees. They had less time to prepare breakfast and less access to a kitchen. Will invested millions of dollars in advertising and assaulted consumers with bright and colorful ads, slogans, jingles, and cartoon mascots. Oh. Yeah, like the original Snap, Crackle, and Pop. He invented Snap, Crackle, and he Pop? He did, yes. Nice. He also came up with Tony the Tiger. I was going to say. Mm -hmm. Cliffy the Clown, who you might not have heard of. Never heard of that. And Smaxy, a seal in a sailor suit. Smaxy. <laughs> He's pretty cute. And later went on to do TV commercials. He brilliantly targeted kids as his main demographic and started including coloring books and toys inside the boxes. So it's his fault. It is his fault that had youngsters clamoring for Kellogg's cereal. In 1909, he was selling 120,000 boxes of cereal a day. Wow. Yeah. All the while, he continued his innovations in processed foods. By the 1940s, all major cereal companies were following suit and coating their cereals with sugar. So the key to Will's success can be boiled down to two things, sugar and advertising. 
And the toys didn't hurt either. And the toys did not hurt. Yes, the marketing, the brilliant marketing. The Kellogg brothers worked to broadcast the concept of wellness to the masses, and in doing so, revolutionized the way we eat breakfast. This morning, more than 350 million people in more than 180 nations devoured a bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes. Hundreds of millions more started their day with a cornucopia of Kellogg's other crunchy and frequently sugar-laden, flaked, popped, and puffed grains. John stayed at the Battle Creek Sanitarium even as attendance declined during the Depression and it began to fall out of favor with the public. Mm -hmm. In 1938, it closed forever, and four years later, J.H. Kellogg developed bronchitis and died of pneumonia. He and Will still harbored resentment towards each other and rarely spoke. Will Keith passed away in 1951, also at the age of 91. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I found, Katie, some jingles from the early days of Kellogg's cereal. Would you like to hear some of them? Absolutely, I okay, would. Okay, cool. We're snap, crackle, and pops so rise and shine, Rice Krispies time. Come on the run and join the fun with Kellogg's Breakfast Musketeers. Now all together, let's give three rousing cheers. Hooray, hooray, Kellogg's Rice Krispies at top. They snap, they crackle, they pop. is the story of the Kellogg brothers and how they revolutionized breakfast. That was wonderful. Oh, thank you. Now, Anomaly, I have heard this story before, and wasn't at the end of Kellogg's life, he wrote, John Kellogg wrote a letter to his brother um, apologizing for how he'd treat him over the years and how they had split and let it drive them apart. And he wrote this really sweet end-of-life letter to Will and gave it to his personal secretary who put it in their pocket and never mailed it. Yeah, apparently she thought that John was... 
how do I put this too good to make that overture to Will to like basically apologize to Will? Right. It was yeah. a weakness or yes. an embarrassment, right? So she just put it away until basically Will was on his deathbed, and then he re- they read the letter to him. And I forget what he said. He said something like, why didn't anyone tell me? Right. And then died. Right. At least that's what they said on Drunk History. Exactly. (laughs) All right. That was a great story. Yeah. It's kind of neat learning where your breakfast food comes from. It does. It does. And, you know, Kellogg, he was considered in his day to be have a lot of really amazing ideas um, and he certainly was passionate about not being passionate right if if that makes sense Um, unfortunately he also had some kind of icky beliefs about race but you know today I just wanted to stick to the cereal Right, right yeah the story is about the cereal so anyway that's it that was a great story All right, dear listeners, that's it for our story today. We really hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you liked what you heard, then please consider subscribing. You can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we will post some images that go along with today's show. If you would like to find out more information about our stories, be sure to check the sources in the show notes. So I have some sources, actually a lot of sources for today's story because it was so interesting. Um, I found some information on invent.org about John Kellogg. He was one of their inductees. Uh, MyRecipes.com, the weird true story of the Kellogg's brothers. Daily.jstore.org, the strange backstory behind your breakfast cereal. Forbes.com, surprising reason why Dr. John Harvey Kellogg invented cornflakes. CBSnews.com, history of breakfast in America. Historytoday.com, and NPR, how the battling Kellogg brothers revolutionized American breakfast. Thank you so much for today's story, Anomaly. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. And as always, stay stay curious. curious. Bye. Bye.